Good morning, church. I don't know about you, but I could listen to your pastor lead worship all day long. Uh, some of my uh, some of my favorite opportunities of ministry and worship in the last twenty years have been with Jacob and Kelly leading out, just like they did today. And um, I'm grateful that I, I was able to uh, enjoy that today. Uh, I'm glad he's saying I stand amazed in the presence. That's a that's one of my favorites and. Uh, whenever we would have a, a staff um, retreat or something like that, we would go out and I would ask Jacob to lead us like that, and he did, and, and I appreciate that, Jacob. I, I have lots of things to say about him, but because he's already carried us before the throne, it would be foolish and, um, and just a waste of time to do that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. If any of you would like to email me. I'll tell you all the dirt I have on your pastor, but uh, I won't do that now. I do recognize that he's still a little bit scuffed up from Alan's being here, and as somebody who was both of their bosses at one time, I'm sorry. I'm so ashamed that uh, these two students of mine behaved as they did before you. Listen, when I... uh, when I go to churches and preach, whether it's at my church or at other churches this week, I, I know all of the folks that are there, or a lot of them. You know, I, I, can, I know what they're dealing with. I know their hurts. I know how to bring God's Word to bear specifically into their lives. And so it helps me with the way that I shape the whole sermon, the way that I shape the whole experience, really, because I'm really wanting to bring the word to bear in their lives. Well, I don't know anything about you except you have got a great pastor, a great pastor's wife, and a great pastor's family. That's really all I know about you. And in fact, evidently, you haven't been telling all the stories to Jake because when you said that I was a captain in the army, he looked at me and said, I didn't know that. It's been about six years since I've been with the the girls and Jake, and uh, every one of your young ladies has grown up in that six-year time, and, uh, but I'm, I, I, told, I told Janie and Julie already, and since Allie's not here, I can say it again, Allie is the one that I'm most amazed with. She was just a little kid getting into trouble when I first saw her, or when I last saw her, and now she's like looking at me eye to eye, and I think she told me she was going to dunk on me, but I don't remember that. I, so I don't know you. So I want to lead us today just to worship, not just to worship, but to worship. In fact, the invitation for this morning's sermon, I'll just let you know right now, it's an extension of what we've already done, and that is to lift high the name of Jesus. I can't think of anything better for a gospel church to do than to glorify Jesus. In fact, I think that a lot of the problems that we have in America and other places around the world is that we have gotten busy and sidetracked into politics, we've gotten busy and sidetracked into business, we've gotten busy and sidetracked into every other thing, and we've forgotten that the one true truth that we hold on to that surpasses every other truth is that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He is our hope. 
So like our hope isn't the next president of the United States, our hope isn't the next governor of Tennessee, our hope isn't those things, our hope is one day Jesus is going to crack the sky and come, back, come down. And that will change everything. It'll change everything. By the way, for those of you who love to exercise your civic duties, you won't even get to vote when Jesus comes back. He's just coming back, right? Um, no hanging chads or, uh, or bad ballots or stuffed boxes. Jesus comes back and he declares himself king. So turn in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 1. I want to read to you just four verses and I want to lead you in worship this morning. So I hope that you have your worshiping heart ready. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you how to have that by the time we get there, but I want you to hear this with me. Do y'all stand when you read Scripture? Will, you, will y'all stand with me, please, just as we honor the reading of God's Word? I'd love for you to. I didn't even ask Brother Jacob about that before I did it, so sorry. Don't take it out on him. God's Word says this, starting in verse number 4 of Revelation chapter 1, God's Word says this, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace, from him who is and who was and who, who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Y'all be seated this morning. I want to preach to you a sermon entitled, Celebrating Jesus. Celebrating Jesus. Listen, we have allowed an attitude of defeat to spoil our witness for the Lord. We've, uh, some of the most defeated people I know are people who claim to be Christians. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, woe is me. Did you see what was going on in Memphis on the TV last night? Oh, woe is me. Have you looked at Charlotte's News last night? Oh, woe is me. I can't bear another year under this president. And we're just so Eeyore-ish. Y'all know Eeyore? Woe is me. And so when John received this vision from the Lord that we know is the revelation of John, it's really the revelation of Jesus the Christ, as we have this revelation and and as the Lord gave it to John, they were living in a much more miserable state than we are. They lived under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They were scattered. John was in exile on an island because he was preaching about Jesus. Now, I don't know about any of you, but we haven't been exiled for Jesus' sake yet. And so they're in a terrible state. And instead of God showing them, someday there's going to be a republic on the earth called the United States of America, and there'll be hope then. Or instead of God saying, look, just wait, this emperor is going to die. Instead of doing anything like that, the Lord shows him a picture of himself. A picture of himself. In fact, the the whole book of Revelation isn't about timelines and charts and all that other stuff. It's about Jesus. 
And the hope for us is this vision of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. This this vision of an overcoming king who died for us and rose again. This vision of the one who one day is going to ride back in on a horse with the word of God from his mouth, ruling the nations under a rod of iron, and everything, and I mean everything, will be made right on that day. And we live today in hopes of that day, looking forward to that day. In fact, the joy of our lives is we get to tell the world, hey, y'all, he's coming. He's coming. You know, one of my favorite things that I've ever heard in the last few, uh, few years talking about the way that Christians believe is, uh, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, they look at us and they say, y'all still believe that? And uh, in response to that, I heard a theologian say it like this, not only do we still believe all that, but we believe our king's riding in on a horse and he's going to crack the sky. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, everything is going to be made right. So let's just look at this together. I want to I open up this passage of Scripture, walk through it a little bit, and I want to lead you to worship. I want to give you hope this morning, not hope in something that I can predict or something that I can show you, except for what the Word of God says, which is that Jesus is King. So let's just look at this together. The first thing in honoring Jesus and celebrating the person of Jesus is that we must honor the person of Jesus. We must honor the person of Jesus. Here, this introduction of the message to the seven churches. Uh, We have the introduction, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. That's the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. That's the perfection of the Holy Spirit uh, serving before the throne. And from Jesus Christ. And I love this part because John then takes this time to tell us who Jesus is, and then he begins to tell us who Jesus is again. Now, I'm not going to preach all of that. I'm just going to preach these verses that I read. But if you notice, if you read past verse 8 and go to verse 9 and down into the end of the chapter, he goes back to this vision of the Lord Jesus as he sees them walking among the churches. Walking among the churches. And if this is, and I believe, there's no reason I don't believe it, so don't, don't hear me wrong. But if this is truly a church that belongs to Jesus, he, as it were, is walking around here. And he, as it were, is holding your pastor in his right hand. This is the promise of the book of Revelation that regardless of what comes, Jesus is king. And so we see this together. Let me just show you. As we honor the person of Jesus, the first thing he says is that Jesus is the, is the revealing one. He's the faithful witness. Now, what does that mean? By the way, let me just tell you, if, if, if Jacob hasn't clued you in, I like to ask questions, and when I ask them, they're not rhetorical. All right? Uh, very good. I like that. Thanks, Jeff. And so when I ask you a question, I like expect an answer. So let me ask you this. What does it mean that Jesus is the faithful witness? He's God's son. That's right. What else does it mean? You're on the right track. All right, let me help you. Jacob, what does it mean that Jesus is the faithful witness? At least, okay, I'll tell you. As Dr. Skinner would say, it's your sermon, you preach it. <laughs> All right, no more questions. I, I'll, I'll try to refrain. I can see y'all aren't ready for that. 
<laughs> it only took like a year and a half to get my church ready for it, so it's a little bit, Jeff, chime in anytime you'd like. But, uh, uh, so this is what it means that he's the faithful witness, that when you look at Jesus, when you see him, and by the way, when we look at him, we don't look at him in periodicals or other books, there's no fold-out magazine of Jesus, we look at him in the Gospels primarily, so we know Jesus by what his faithful witnesses wrote about him, but ultimately what we see is in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that he is the perfect representation of the Father. So when Jesus is the faithful witness, you can know God by knowing his Son. That's what it means. It means that, that Jesus has perfectly and absolutely righteously demonstrated the Father to us. You don't have to wonder what the Father looks like. I hear people say all the time, if only God would come down and show us what he looked like. He did. He did. That's Jesus. There's no difference in the Old Testament than the New Testament in the sense of who God is. You know, I hear people say this, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so this, that, or the other, and the God of the New Testament is so this, that, or the other. No, it's the same God. In fact, it's the heart of blasphemy to say that it's a different God in the Old Testament than the New. It's, it's wrong because Jesus came fully showing. In fact, Jesus said this, no man has seen the Father at any time, but the Son demonstrates or declares him to you. So when it says here that Jesus is the perfect witness, we can know God by knowing Jesus. And let me just say it the other way. You can't know God unless you know Jesus. Number two, not only is he the revealing one, he's the resurrected one. He is the firstborn of the dead. And so as he is, so we will be. As the, as, as the, he's the firstborn, which means there's many who are going to come back from the dead. We will when he returns. This is the Christian's hope. I hope you don't mind me meddling a little bit, but I'm just going to say this. I have to say this to every Christian I see, so I need to say it to you. Your hope is not living in a disembodied body or as a disembodied spirit in heaven for eternity. Your hope is when Jesus comes back and he raises the dead from the ground, your body restores to your spirit and you are forever with him when heaven meets earth and it's back like it was from the beginning. That's the hope. Jesus is coming back and he's going to put everything right. We sang it in one of those songs. I can't remember. I was, I was singing all of them, but it says, that the, is he worthy? Does the earth travail? Yes. When is it going to stop travail? When is it going to stop mourning? When Jesus comes back. You see the beauty of this? He is the resurrected one. He came back from the dead. You say you believe that? Yes. The heart, the soul of Christianity is that Jesus lived a perfect life in your place and in mine. In fact, let me just tell you from the beginning. The Bible says that every single one of us has sinned against him. What we've all earned, including your pastor and myself, what we've all earned is death and hell and the grave. That's what my works have earned me. But God loved me and loved you so much that he demonstrated it by sending his son into the world to live a perfect life. And then at the right time, Jesus stepped into our place, bearing our sin debt on himself at the cross. He died a sinner's death, although he was no sinner. They took him off the cross and put him in a tomb and sealed it up. And they thought they were done with him. And his disciples thought he was done with. 
But on the third day, the Father, accepting His sacrifice for our sins, raised Him bodily from the dead. And so Jesus walks out of the tomb alive forevermore. And our hope is that when we put our trust in Him, we'll be saved from our sin, and one day we'll be resurrected from the dead, and we'll live in a body just like His forever. He's the revealing one. He's the resurrected one. He's also the ruling one. Listen to this. It says, it says not only is he the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead, but he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Listen, <laughs> you know, I laugh because I, if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. <laughs> I gave a few years to the security of this nation and and that was a long time ago. I was a much younger man than I am now, a much, much better fit man than I was now, and a, actually a much cleaner shaven man than I am now. But uh, uh, when I served in the Army, uh, it, there was still this uh, exuberant hope for America. And now it's like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? You know, what, what's going on? When did we wake up? Like Rip Van Winkle, you're just awake and all of a sudden things are messed up. But the way that they're messed up now doesn't hold a candle to the way that the Roman Empire was messed up. I mean, that thing was, it, you talk about debauchery, it was debauchery city. And yet here, it, it, with all the wickedness and just disgusting displays of power that those Roman emperors did, John, in this vision of the Lord Jesus, says that Jesus is the ruling one. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And right now, those kings may be given all latitude to run into sin, but there is coming a day, and Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And according to this, he is still the ruler of the kings of earth today. They may be renegades, they may be rebellious off doing their own thing, but if Jesus were to snap them in line, they'd snap back into line right now. I mean, all you have to do is look at the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through the, the kings and the rulers ultimately answer to the one king, the one ruler of all. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the expanse and the dominance of his ruling, by the way. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's all the kings of all the earth. Uh, you know, we read into the book of Revelation, we go back in the book of Daniel, we read all this prophecy and we're like, oh no, Right? Oh no, we're going to be a mark of a beast and there's going to be, you know, all this stuff. And I, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but we Christians were like wringing our hands. Should I, should I get this shot or should I get a credit card or a bank account or a social security number? What's going to happen to me? That's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. What it means is, is Jesus your Lord or is he not? The ultimate mark of the beast is to say that Jesus is not the one come in, the, come in flesh. Jesus is not the son of God. And so it, we get all worried about what's going on. It's not going to touch us. If you belong to Jesus, when he comes back, you're going with him regardless of what credit card you hold. <laughs> it, it's Jesus or nothing. And so we stand for Jesus. We honor the person of Jesus. The second thing that I want you to see is that we celebrate the work of Jesus. Now, I know you all clapped a little bit before, but if you want to get your hands warmed up, now would be the time because all of our hope is in what Jesus has done for us. Everything I just said is true. Everything is true about him, whether he rescued us or not. But if you have hope of the future, it's because of what Jesus has done for you. 
It's because of what he's done in your place. Listen, it keeps going. It says, and he has made, uh, oh, I'm sorry, to him who loves us. I want you to just stop for a second. To him who loves us. How many of you, don't raise your hands, I know y'all are bad at that, so don't, don't, we're not going to do that. How many of you wake up periodically thinking, I'm unlovable? Maybe you're a teenager at school and people have said mean things about you. Maybe at work, <laughs> your boss has said mean things about you. Husbands, maybe at home, your wife, no, we won't go there. <laughs> I want you to know, and I do this when I teach vacation Bible school for the kids, but I've noticed that the parents like it as much as the kids do. And so if y'all will permit me to do something to you just, just right now, I'm going to point at you, but it's not going to be ugly. Okay, y'all okay with that? Uh, you smiled right there. I'm glad you did. God loves you. He loves you. And he loves you. And he loves you. And he loves you. He loves all of you in the balcony, although you're sitting as far away as you possibly can. And he loves you, Jeff. He's got a sense of humor with you. <laughs> and he loves you. Jacob, he loves you. Janie, he loves you. Julie, he loves you. Jake, he loves you. Kelly, he might not love you because he gave you all them. No, I know he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The bedrock of all of this, my favorite verse in all the Bible, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love for you in this way, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. There is no way that God can prove that he loves you any more than Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus' death in our place, his resurrection from the dead, his promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved is proof that God loves us. He loves us. That's, that's the hope of every Christian is that he loves us. And he's proven it. We celebrate the work of Jesus because it flows from his love for us. It's a possessive love. We belong to Him. It's an active love. He demonstrated it. It's not just like I say I love Corvettes, but I don't really want one because they're a pain to keep up. He loves us and He keeps up with us. He takes care of us. He's invested in us. Listen, if you struggle, and this really isn't even about the sermon, but I want you to hear this. If you struggle with worth, I want you to know that the one that we just sang, is he worthy, and we all said he is, he's the one who said you were worth him coming and dying in your place. Yes, it's about his glory, but it's also because he loved us. His work for us flows from his love for us. It also was established by his blood. Listen, that is a testimony to love. That is a testimony to somebody who gives their life for us. Jesus said it this way, Greater love hath no man than this, than one lay down his life for his friend. Being in the military, especially in the era that I served, we were surrounded by guys who were still in 
still guys from World War II, still guys from Korea, still guys from Vietnam, and they were all around us. They would come back and they would tell us stuff, and, and they always spoke with a dignified honor about the fallen comrade who threw himself on a grenade or stepped in the way of a, a, a bullet fuselage or something like that for their friends. But those things, those things, while they were great demonstrations of love for those who were in the, in the fighting position with them or those who were in the bunker with them, Jesus gave his life for the world. He loved us so much that He demonstrated it by dying for us. Listen, we celebrate the work of Jesus because it flows from His love. It was established with His blood. His blood is what sealed the covenant. How often do you all have Lord's Supper, Jacob? Every six weeks or so? Every time, I would guess, almost every time that Pastor Jacob would stand down here around the table and your deacons are here and they're getting ready to serve and he would hold up the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, Jesus gave His life to seal the covenant. And by the way, that covenant isn't with you and me. We are the recipients of who that covenant is with. That covenant in His blood is with His Father to save many from their sins. That covenant that Jesus signed was to say that His death was enough for us. Listen, the gospel message isn't just what gets you into Christianity. It's the way we live from now until the day that we don't, and then the way that we live in His presence forever and ever. And that's the glory of Jesus. Because we're finite individuals, we're never going to fully ascertain who God is. I mean, we're going to get close. Like, every day for eternity, we're going to know more. If there are days in eternity, I guess. I don't know. No son, just Jesus. So I'm not sure about all that. But if there are days in eternity, these are the things, by the way, that you think about when you have a doctorate in theology. You just, every day as we go in eternity, we're going to know more about God. We're going to glorify Him better If you can imagine that, we'll glorify Him awesomely the first day, but every day it's going to get better and 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 better. How much time do you all have? And better and better and better and better. You get it? Because we're going to know more about God's glories and His beauty, and we're going to know more about what it cost Him. I used to say this until there was a song that that uh, that sang about it just last year or so, and now I feel like I'm stealing from the song, although I said this long before the song ever came about. The only, the only wounds that are going to be visible in heaven, all of us are going to be restored to these glorified bodies, but we're going to see the marks on Jesus' hands and around His brow and in His side, and it's going to be a reminder of that new covenant that's in His blood. Friends, we are going to celebrate forever and ever because of what Jesus has done for us. Not only was it established with His blood and it flows from His love for us, but it also joins us together to form a kingdom. It joins us together. It says there in verse 6, And He made us to be a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. Do you know, I know that, I know that, uh, Uh, probably the events that took place over the weekend in Israel or in lots of people's minds and 
you, you read about that and you, you saw it. We're getting ready to take a trip to Israel in April. And uh, as soon as my wife Myra saw that, she's like, oh, no. Now nobody's going to want to go with us. <laughs> and uh, I want you to know this happens periodically there, and it's a tragic loss of life. And so what I'm about to say is, is does not, I, I don't want to belittle that at all, but I want you to understand this. When we are there, we run into all kinds of Palestinian or Arab Christians, people like you and me who are there, believe in Jesus, want Jesus to come back, sharing the faith, even at the risk of going to jail, telling others about Christ there. And I want you to know this, you have more in common with a Palestinian Christian than you do with your American neighbor who doesn't know Christ. Y'all realize that? We are a new kingdom. Some of y'all don't believe it. Y'all are looking at me like, uh, that's a stretch too far. It's not. It's the truth. It's what Jesus has done. He is putting us together, a new race of people, a new group. You, you think of Jesus being the second Adam. The first Adam was the, the, the head of the human race. Jesus is the head of the Christian race. This new people are going to live together forever and ever. And not only did he make us to be this kingdom, this family, but also to priests. We get to serve his father because of what he's done for us. I wasn't even able to walk into the Father's presence without fear of being consumed by His righteous and holy wrath that was due my sins. And yet Jesus has saved me and outfitted me to now be able to serve the living God. I can boldly come before His throne of grace. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. He has made us to be a kingdom. We honor the person of Jesus. We celebrate the work of Jesus. And lastly, what I want you to see is that we rejoice in the promised return of Jesus. This is really where our joy stirs up. It says there at the end of verse 6, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever and amen. And then he says these wonderful words, behold. Now, I tell my church all the time that whenever you see the word behold, uh, you need to know that what John was really saying, if he was from the part of the world that we're from, he was saying, looky here. All right, so whenever you see behold, what he really is saying is looky here. And so he says, hey, looky here. He is coming in the clouds. He is coming in the clouds and every eye will see Him. It's not going to be some secret thing when Jesus cracks the sky. He's coming back, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. Look, the reality of His coming is Jesus is coming back. One of the, there are two, there are two equally wrong but distant beliefs and that is either Jesus is never coming back or Jesus is already coming back neither of those are true but he is coming and he may come before I finish some of you are like yeah I know we know how long you preach and he might come before you finish by the way for those of you who are getting bored I want you to know that I'm preaching fast y'all may be listening slow but this is fast for me Jesus is coming back. When he does, all your hurts will be healed. When he does, all your sorrow will be salved. It will be taken care of. When Jesus comes back, all your hopes will be fulfilled. When Jesus comes back, all your relationships will be healed. 
when Jesus comes back, everything is going to be put to right. Everything is going to be put to right. He is coming. Notice the recognition of His coming. When He comes, everybody's going to know it. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to be like, oh, what happened to Jacob? Because everybody is going to see Him. Jesus is going to return, and He's going to judge. Friends, when Jesus comes back, we will recognize that He's here. And then I want you to see the reach of His coming. When Jesus comes back, the whole world will be held under His sway. There won't be any rebellion. Well, there might be right away, but like that'll be put to rest quick. <laughs> In the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will take over. Congress isn't going to have to be called into a session and figure out what they're going to do with Jesus. Praise God, I heard that. <laughs> Baptist churches all around aren't going to take a vote if it was on the agenda or the bulletin. I've been a Baptist my whole life. I can make fun of us. In fact, we're really the only ones I can make fun of. I don't know anybody else. There's an old joke that says uh, this person passed away and went to heaven. And uh, Peter is going to take, take him on a stroll, takes him around, showing him where the throne room is, showing him where uh, the, the courtyard for pra praises are and all that stuff. And, and there's this compound that's up on a hill. And he's, the guy asks Peter, what's up there? He goes, shh. That's where the Baptists are. They think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> And when Jesus comes back, there'll be no Jew or Gentile. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus came the first time, he put us together. There's no Jew or Gentile. When Jesus comes back, there won't be a hierarchy of rich or poor. When Jesus comes back, there won't be those who live in oppressed countries and those who live in free countries. When Jesus comes back, there won't be Democrats or Republicans. When Jesus comes back, everything is going to be made right. So let me wrap this up the same way that I started. We need to worship tonight, today. We need to worship. This is our hope. We get so bogged down in all kinds of other things. We get so wrapped up in our lives. And, and I'll just tell you, before, well, I won't tell you how old I am, but before... When I was Jacob's age, when I was that age, I was like, man, I've got my whole life and I've got it planned out and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to own this and I want to have this. And the more I grow, the quicker I realize that this life is going by like that. In fact, I heard that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it spins. <laughs> is that all right to tell that joke here? Okay. It is true, it's true. And all the stuff that we've spent all our time working for and living for is going to be gone. At best, you'll be able to leave it to your kids and then they're going to sell it because they don't want your junk. It goes by so fast. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that everything is going to be burned up 
except what's done for Christ. And even if we haven't, even if we haven't lived all for Christ and He purges us with that holy fire, we're going to still get into heaven, but, but we'll have suffered loss because of all the time and effort and energy we spend doing other things. But listen, friends, here's what won't burn up. Your praises to the Lord. Your praises to the Lord. Your worship from a, from a heart that's been redeemed. Your joy in ministry to others in Jesus' name. Your, your opportunities to win friends and family and strangers to Christ. What you do for Jesus will go on forever and ever. I believe with all my heart that the 25 minutes or so that we spent singing to the Lord, I believe that that will last forever. In fact, we may be standing in line. I don't know what it looks like. I don't, please don't ask me that. But we may be standing in line on that day waiting to shake the hands or bow at the feet of our Savior. We may be standing in line and on the big screen behind Him, kind of like Jerry's World in Dallas, but bigger. It'll be out there. And, and we'll look up and we'll see that moment that we shared this morning when we're singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And it'll be, that's what lasts. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ with your life, you need to trust Him today. You see, the joy and hope that is Jesus' return for those of us who belong to Him is a day of terror and judgment for those who don't belong to Him. And I don't say that with any glee or glimmer in my eye but it causes me to say if you're here today and you don't belong to Jesus run to him today throw yourself on his mercy seat he will gladly pardon you he will forgive your sins he will stretch your guilt as far away as the east is from the west he'll throw it in the bottom of the ocean or he'll put it behind his back all three of those are are visuals of what Jesus does to those who belong to him we are pure, not because we've earned it, but because He's declared us so. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, trust Him. Just a second, your pastor is going to stand down here at the front. And if you need to trust Jesus today, do it. But listen, this sermon was not for lost people. It was for saved people. And for those of us who are looking around the world or in our lives or maybe inside of us and we're thinking, what is this life for? I want you to understand that it's all for Jesus. It's about Him. And we ought to be the most joyful people in all the world, not because we like what's going on with the world, but because we love Jesus and we know He's coming back. So friends, this morning, run to Jesus. Worship Jesus glorify him i don't know what song we're going to have in in the response time i think that pastor jacob's going to lead us or whatever but listen if you know the words sing them out to jesus if you don't know the words make them up to jesus he deserves it he deserves old hymns and new songs he deserves praise choruses and and uh to god be the glory he deserves it all he deserves every moment of every day of every life that's in this room and beyond he deserves it. He's worthy. Y'all pray with me as Pastor Jacob comes. Lord, I pray 
that you would cause this group of believers to be stirred up in affection for Jesus, for who He is, for what He's done, and what He will do when He comes back. Lord, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with Your presence, that we would enjoy being priests to You because You deserve it and You've bought us for that purpose. So God, please let us serve You in spirit and in truth every day of our lives. Lord, may First Baptist Church Huntingdon be the lighthouse for this community in all of western Tennessee. Lord, would You let Your praises and Your glories reign. God, would You please do what only You can do in our hearts and lives today. We ask it now in Jesus' name, the only name that matters, the name among which no one else can be saved except in the name of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We exalt you, Lord, and we choose to do so because we love you. We ask these things in his name. Amen.